I'd go home after my night shift and I'd lie in bed, you know, with my little peepers wide open, worrying about the, the cases that I'd sent home. Well, hello and welcome to the Medical Protection Podcast, our headliner series, where we keep you up to date with the latest in research and news. My name is Dr. Stephen Priestley and I'm your host for this series. I'm a senior medical educator with the Cognitive Institute, which is part of the Medical Protection Society. and I'm an actively practicing emergency medicine specialist on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia. Today, I'm going to be talking with my guest, Associate Professor Carmel Crock, about creating a diagnostic safety culture in one's practice with the aim of reducing harm associated with diagnostic error. Because what we know is that diagnostic error is very common in both hospital and ambulatory care practices and can have a devastating effect on patients and families, with some researchers in the field asserting that every one of us will either experience harm or know someone close to us who has experienced harm as a consequence of a mistaken diagnosis. Diagnostic error is a leading cause of malpractice claims and payments. And if we want to mitigate against the risk of diagnostic errors in our practice, then one of the first steps we need to take is to normalise discussions about diagnosis and errors to enable learnings and initiatives to promote individuals and teams working together to improve our diagnostic accuracy and our patient safety. So today I'm privileged to be talking with Associate Professor Carmel Crock from Melbourne, Australia. Carmel and I are old colleagues, having both trained in emergency medicine in Melbourne, and I've had the good fortune of working with Carmel over many years in the areas of quality and patient safety. Most often within our Australasian College for Emergency Medicine Quality and Patient Safety Committees, structures where Carmel has served as chair for many years. Carmel is the Director of Emergency Medicine at the Royal Victorian Eye and Ear Hospital in Melbourne, Australia, and over many years has brought her expertise and passion for improving diagnosis into that department, such that it has a strong diagnostic safety culture and research program relating to diagnosis. Carmel is a recipient of the Medal of the Order of Australia for her services to medicine and was also awarded the prestigious Mark L. Graber Diagnostic Quality Award from the Society to Improve Diagnosis in Medicine for her commitment to improvement and research in diagnostic error. Apart from all that, Carmel is a mother of two adult children and spends her precious downtime in improving her language skills, in particular in French and Italian, she tells me, and she also practices regular meditation. So a very big welcome, Carmel. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about this important safety risk for our patients. Thank you so much, Stephen, for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Listen, just to start with, um, Carmel, I'm intrigued to know what led you to this area. G given all the areas of patient safety that I know you're actively engaged in, it does seem that you've got a particular passion and energy for diagnostic error and improving diagnosis. Can you tell, tell us what led you into diagnostic error and diagnostic safety? Look, Stephen, that's a tricky question to start with, but if I think back to how I got involved in this field, you know, in emergency medicine, uh, it's very tricky often to make a diagnosis, and many times we don't make a diagnosis. And I guess as an emergency medicine registrar, I would notice that I'd see somebody 
with chest pain and I wouldn't be able to diagnose accurately when I first saw them. Was it cardiac? Was it gastrointestinal? Was it anxiety? Was it something completely different? So I guess I became fascinated at actually how difficult and how complex and actually how nuanced the task of diagnosis is and how human an endeavour it is where we're struggling with something together with the patient, trying to do our best for the patient. Um, and many times, most times we do, but sometimes we don't. So it, it's, it just fascinates me, uh, I guess, the that it's a, it's a problem which is difficult to solve. And I, I guess I felt like in patient safety, you know, we've developed systems to improve things like procedural safety and we'd go to workshops where we'd, you know, improve our, our procedures, whether it be corneal foreign body removal or putting in a chest tube. And we've got things to to improve medication safety. You know, our, our medications are double-checked by nurses and by pharmacists. But I felt like diagnosis, we haven't really applied some of the patient safety learnings to, to this field. Yeah, that's really interesting. You bring up those the points of uh, how our focus in the past hasn't been on the art of diagnosis or, or even knowing what your misdiagnosis rate might be. I know from my own personal practice, it, it takes a lot of time and effort for me actually to find out, well, I wonder if my assertion about what that particular diagnosis was uh was it actually that or was it something else? And that's a matter of obviously if a patient's admitted to hospital, one can now look on an electronic medical record, which is reasonably easy. But uh, for for those of us in private practice or primary care and actually chasing down what the eventual diagnosis might have been uh, could be really, really challenging. And in fact, the, the correct diagnosis might be made some weeks, months, or even years after an initial presenting complaint. So I, I think uh, I think you're right that we're not really knowing what our rate of misdiagnosis is has been a problem, where there, whereas there has been some pretty good reporting systems set up around medication incidents and procedural uh, complications and things. Well, that's right. We almost wouldn't even report diagnostic errors. We certainly don't count or report them. And I think you make an excellent point, Stephen, you know, embedding, like, how do you get better at something? So you look at basketballers who shoot goals and they practice and they practice and they get feedback. They can see the ball either goes in or it doesn't. We haven't really embedded getting feedback on diagnosis uh, that well in medicine. I think that's an area that we could improve with. Uh, I think in emergency medicine, it's really pertinent because it takes us, as you say, a lot of time and effort, and it's usual, usually personal time and effort afterwards to go back into a file and try and find out um, what the eventual diagnosis was. In general practice, it, it's maybe a little bit easier because you see the patient again and they may be more likely to give you feedback. But again, I think from a systems perspective, we could set up systems much better within medicine to embed, you know, to actively uh, seek feedback on our diagnosis, both from patients and, and as you say, within electronic medical records. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it makes me think of the uh what's sometimes called the, the worst three words you can hear while you're at work is remember that patient. Um, and that is often the precursor of someone telling you that that patient that you discharged with gastritis has come back with a big heart attack, for example. 
Uh, most doctors, of course, don't like to talk about their misdiagnosis or their errors. Uh, I think that's quite confronting and, and uh, uh, it can challenge our belief in our uh, abilities. I understand that you have been able to take that on somewhat and encourage your team to discuss mistakes and, and in fact, to challenge each other's diagnoses. How did you do that? How did you get to that point? Look, what we did, Stephen, is we set up a morning handover whereby we actually do uh, diagnostic cross-checking of all our overnight presentations, uh, partly because we had patient feedback from overnight that they hadn't seen a specialist or that the diagnosis was wrong. Um, and so we, we thought about how we can protect our patients at night and our clinicians at night. So we set up a system whereby we made it, we normalised that every single day we would start the day by reviewing diagnoses from overnight. And this involves the whole morning team with the night team doing diagnosis. So practicing deliberative clinical reasoning as a team and, and diagnostic errors would come up in the discussion. So again, completely normalize the discussion of, well, we were wrong about this, we were right about that, or this diagnosis evolved. So just bringing it out into the open. To be honest, you know, we're all anxious about making an error, but if you actually talk about them and share them as a group, you start to see, well, look, there are these recurrent pitfalls in our specialty. Every specialty, I'm sure, has their particular recurrent diagnostic pitfalls. And uh, you share those, you learn about them, um, you share them with patients, you discuss with patients, um, uh, you know, what things, what, what diagnoses can be difficult. Um, so bring it out into the open. I, I really love that idea. And I love that idea of, of diagnostic cross-checking. Uh, now, you're in a specialist emergency medicine department, um, uh, you know, Royal Victorian Eye Hospital and that you have a morning handover, just from the point of our listeners who are in a wide range of different practices, you know, what? how would you start that sort of working on diagnosis together? Because I, I'm imagining, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that perhaps some of your doctors were pretty hesitant to engage in talking about their diagnoses or their challenges in diagnosis. They might have closed down a little bit to begin with, just the fear of being challenged perhaps. Oh, very much so. So in the early days, um, everybody wondered why we were bothering to do it, that the patients we'd finished with them, why are we going back and looking at it again? But the way that we've sort of seen it is that it's reviewing your work with, with others, that it's actually fresh eyes and a fresh perspective on the work that you've done when your cognition is at the lowest at night. And to me, it's a little bit like how in, in radiology, they'll do double reading of images or that you'll have a multidisciplinary oncology team that meets once a week, um, or how we double check uh, drugs before we give them. So it's sort of, it, it's designing an interaction uh, specifically for the well-being of your patients and your clinicians. Yeah, that's really interesting. It strikes me that, um, uh, that it is not dissimilar to the way we've tried to encourage reporting of incidents. Uh, in order to learn from them. Uh, you know, incident reporting is widespread and uh, that has led to uh, a significant number of learnings. Is that the same sort of principle applied to it in a system way? I think it's a really, I think it's really similar principle. And I think 
as I say, it's kind of normalizing that you need to have a second look at things, that you that it's actually beneficial to ask for second opinions, and it's beneficial to get immediate feedback on your diagnosis. So often overnight, one of the trainees will present a case and they'll get immediate consultant feedback in the morning. Uh, so it's it's like developing, you know, recalibrating all together as a team and having a group cognition and a group understanding of, oh, that's how we deal with you know a 20 year old with headaches and an eye pain so you sort of um develop a common understanding of of different presentations i think that that's part of it it's also like a really a really um useful safety netting so for example what i what used to happen to me when i was admitting officer overnight in a general ad i'd go home after my night shift and i'd lie in bed you know with my little peepers wide open worrying about the the cases that i'd sent home we've tried to design it so that any cases that you're worried about at all overnight the morning team will say, look, I'll ring that patient. I'll book them into clinic for tomorrow. I'll have another think about that. I'll discuss it with this subspecialty. So it's really great safety netting. And our, our doctors can go home at night and not worry about the cases they've seen because we do reach out to ones that we were, that we question the diagnosis. It's, it's really, uh, I think, remarkable what you've been able to put in place. Uh, I can just imagine some of our listeners thinking, my goodness, um, we are so busy. Um, seeing the, the patients that are turning up either in a hospital setting or in an ambulatory care setting. I just can't imagine us having the time to be able to review that. I mean, we have some safety netting. Our patients are uh, invited to come back for review or we'll see you again in a week and have a look at the results of the tests that might still be outstanding. There's a range of those sorts of things. Is it just a is it a, a mindset shift to actually make time for this important activity? So it's a culture shift, it's a mindset shift, and you take small steps. You look at what in your department or your clinic might work for you. So it might be that you set up something once a week initially, or you might set something up. To be honest, we set up ours initially. We didn't have the whole morning team there. We just had two doctors, one night and one day doctor reviewing the night cases. And then I spoke to our executive and said, look, you know, I'd really like it to be a morning team hand over multidisciplinary with our nurses and the doctors together, hearing about what comes in overnight and how it's managed, um, again, to get this common understanding. And uh, an and executive approved that the entire day team comes in that 15 minutes uh, together we spend. And, you know, it's a real team building exercise. Um, mm. And it also, to me, it just focuses laser light attention on the diagnostic process, you know, on other things as well. If there have been procedural issues overnight, um, we deal with those as well. In fact, you know, uh, much as I have a, a major focus on diagnosis, for example, we used to do certain procedures overnight, which we'd hear about in the morning handover, and patients would have vasovagals during them. We decided, well, why are we doing them overnight? Should they not be done at eight o'clock in the morning? So this sort of time together as a clinical team, uh, it really uh, provides diagnostic quality and safety, but there's other side benefits as well for, from a cultural point of view and just from a general safety point of view. Yeah, I think that's. I think that is right. Uh, I think in other practice situations, it's about making a decision 
to start talking about diagnosis, to eke out some time in that busy day to get together and uh, and listen to each other, support each other, and and probably the benefits of doing that over time will make it an essential part of a safety practice or a safe practice. There'll be learnings that come from each other. Um, there'll be learnings for the practice and there'll be learnings for the patients. So I guess it is around taking the first steps, would you, would you say? I think so. I think with diagnosis, Steve, I think we assume that we're getting it right most of the time. And I think if you look at the research, we're probably not getting it right some, some of the time, whether that be for visual specialties, it might be two or 3%, for general specialties, it might be 10%. And it's not because, because we're not good at what we do, it's because it's a difficult task. So I think, you know, diagnostic quality safety has been a little bit invisible. And I think just make it visible, make it a priority, um, place your attention on it. And I think start with small steps in, in your own environment. Yeah, I think the, the term diagnostic safety culture is likely to be new to many of our listeners. Um, is it simply a safety culture applied to diagnosis in the same way as we did it around procedural safety and medication safety and uh, venous thromboembolism? You know, what, what other strategies have you found useful in developing this, this diagnostic safety culture? So I think what you say is absolutely correct. A diagnostic safety culture is just a safety culture, but applied to diagnosis. So, you know, um, do you have psychological safety in your team? Do you feel able to challenge your senior and, and say that you um, that you disagree with the diagnosis and why that is, you know, do you feel as a junior able to, you know, intimidated to present your cases overnight so that you present them with overconfidence? So I think it's, um, I was going to mention, there are some resources around this to develop things for your own department, like a safer diagnostic checklist. So I think what we did, I, I mean, we I, I just looked at the number of things that we'd done and it happened to be 10 things, which was a nice round number. But you might start off with two or three things that you do in your department um, to, you know, to improve your diagnostic quality safety. I think what we're what we're aiming for is diagnostic excellence. But if we're not looking at it, if we're just assuming that we have it, um, that's probably not not enough. That's right. There's got to be some proactive steps. Taken. So just, just really sort of to finish off that conversation and at the risk of repeating myself, you know, thinking about our listeners around the world in all sorts of different practices, if, if what might be some top tips for, for clinicians who really want to improve their diagnosis making, you know, some will work in group practices, some will work in hospitals, where should they start? Uh, look, I think it's very, very context dependent. And I think start off by just, you know, uh, making a commitment to look at what your diagnostic quality and safety and excellence looks like. Uh, I think... Uh, you know, one thing we've done, which we I didn't really talk about, Steve, was for the for our um, trainees. We mandated that when they start with us, for between three and six months, they discuss every single case they see with a senior. So look at strategies to improve the way you know improve the likelihood that you'll speak to each other about cases. So try and embed team diagnosis in your practice 
wherever that is, um, normalize discussing patients, normalize discussing errors and share them, um, normalize getting second opinions. Uh, mm. Don't make it a mm. difficult thing to do, make it an everyday occurrence. And, and the final thing I'd say would be, you know, involve patients, so get their feedback. We, When a patient uh, gives us feedback on a diagnostic error, we ring them all and we discuss it and we see what learnings there are um, for our department and then we discuss it as a group. So both at a systems level, you know, um, seek feedback from your patients, but also mm. at an individual level when you're with a patient, you know, share your cognitive um, reasoning, share your thinking and share your uncertainty with, with a patient. Well, thanks very much, Carmel. That's been really, really useful, that concept. of I remember um, finding out about my misdiagnosis or colleagues' misdiagnosis, for that matter, from complaints from patients. Yeah. And then, you know, that's one of the sources and then being able to follow up. But I really like the idea of more proactively um, being in contact or staying in contact or inviting patients to let us know as practitioners, you know, wh where we've done well and where we haven't done so well. So we can get a sense or feedback in a way um, from our patients of how we're doing and take steps to address where, where we're doing that suboptimally. So listen, thank you very much for your time um, today talking about a diagnostic safety culture. Uh, I'm hoping that, that uh, there will have been a number of points uh, from your experiences in, in an emergency department that would be transferable across into a number of other practices. And I, I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for having us, Stephen. Thank you for uh, letting us discuss this important topic. Thanks, Carmel. And with that, we reach the end of today's podcast, creating a diagnostic safety culture in your practice. With Carmel's experience of creating a safety culture around diagnosis, we've discussed a number of strategies and actions that we can all consider putting in place into our practice over the next weeks and months. And I encourage you all to have a think about what might work best in your practice. For further information about today's podcast, and if you're a member of Medical Protection and would like a certificate for listening, please take a look in the podcast description. Remember to subscribe to the channel to make listening easier in the future. By paying attention to the way we go about making diagnoses, we can begin to reduce the times our patients experience harm from an incorrect diagnosis. I've been your host, Stephen Priestley. Thank you for listening.